Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. And today we're going to talk about a very large company that, believe it or not, started with a back rub. Yes, it did. But before we get too far into that, let's start with a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Alex from Lexington, South Carolina. And Alex says, hi there, guys. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. What a cliche. And I was wondering if you could do a podcast on Google. I'm an avid user of Google's search engine and Gmail, but I was wondering about the company, its history, and other products like Android. P.S. Could you work in a way to say listener mail the way you used to? Alex, I was going to do that, but every time I do listener mail the old way, we get a bunch of really negative reviews on iTunes, and uh, and and my ego just can't take it anymore. So if you really want to hear the old listener mail, I suggest listening to an old episode. 
I know that's lame, oh. but I just don't. I, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of it. I don't. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, the, the two factions are uh, battling it out over whether or not to bring back that uh, listener mail. Uh, eventually, one side will win definitively, and then we will have the listener mail sound effect established from there on out. All right. But in the meantime, let's move on to Alex's uh, topic, which is Google. Yeah, we would we would probably have to do six or seven podcasts to even get close to covering the entirety of Google. Right. So we really wanted to focus on Google the company. In, yeah, and uh, we might talk today. a little bit about the search engine specifically, and yeah. then uh, you know we'll we'll mention a few other things along the way. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, let's let's first start with the company that was founded back in 1998. Now that's even then that's not going all the way back to the very beginning of Google. If you want to do that, you have to go. Into the time travel machine. You know, I, I said we weren't going to do sound effects, but you know what? Here we go. Into the time travel machine, Chris. Come All right, on. I'm in. All right. And we're just going to set this back to 1995. My seatbelt's broken. You just hold on. Okay. All right. So, 95. Yay. Fresh out of college. Here I go. Um, so, here we are at Stanford. Yes. And we're seeing the meeting for the first time between Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Actually, you might expect uh, the clouds to part and the uh, heavenly multitude to start singing. Uh, in reality, it's because Larry Page is visiting the campus as a prospective student and Sergey has been asked to show him around. And not only that, as you might be able to hear in the background, the two don't really get along so well. Yeah, actually, we weren't there at the first time that this happened. We're only witnessing it now as a result of having our own time machine. But uh, yeah. Google is actually remarkably uh, forthcoming about about some of this early information. Yeah, apparently the two had some disagreements on pretty much, pretty much absolutely everything. everything they talked about. However, let's uh, let's uh, jump back over here. Let's uh, quick just do a, a jump ahead by a year. Okay. All right. So uh, so now it's a year later and Larry and Sergey are both at Stanford as as grad students mm-hmm. and now they're working on a project together and Chris alluded to this earlier in the episode. Yes, um although it uh it's kind of funny to imagine an actual company especially one the size of Google uh being called this. The original version of the search engine was actually called Backrub. Yeah. And uh, it was located on the Stanford servers, which was fine for a while until people actually started using it and the traffic became too much for Stanford, which said, get out. Yeah. Now, granted, this is back in 96. Bandwidth back then was different than what it is today. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Uh, But yes, it was using up too much of the bandwidth. So Sergey and uh, and Larry, I just call them that, were buds. I've been to one Google I.O. event and here I am calling the founders by the first name. (laughs) Uh, they well, have no idea who I am. They're kind of informal guys. Yeah, I hear that they're very nice. I've never met either of them. But at any rate, they uh, they decide that they're on to something here. And so the next year, in fact, hey, let's let's go back to, to modern day and just talk about this in the past. It's going to okay. be too much jumping otherwise. I'm okay with that. All right, let's let's we're going to just pop right on to 2010. Uh, much better. Right then. Okay, so uh, a year after they first started the Backrub project, they decided that they wanted to try and 
make this an actual business. Mm-hmm. And that's when they said, okay, well, you know what? We probably need a different name. And they started to kind of pitch around different ideas for names. They eventually came up with a, um, a play on a word called, that's Google, but Google spelled G-O-O-G-O-L. Yes. And what is a Google? It is a one followed by a hundred zeros. That is a very large number. It's, it's ginormous, as they say. And, uh, it actually alludes to their goal of trying to, uh, organize and identify all the information on the internet, which was a whole lot of it. Yeah. That this, this brings us to the company's mission and the mission has not changed yes. since it first was founded. And the mission is I knew you were going to have this written to down. organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Uh, now you may have also heard that Google has an informal motto, which is yes. don't be evil. Yes, I like that motto. It's a good motto, especially when you're talking about a company that is getting as large and pervasive as Google. You're going to hope that they're not going to be evil. That's Um, true. If they are evil, they become Skynet. So, uh, (laughs) so Google, the the whole idea behind don't be evil falls into, into two different realms, really. Mm -hmm. One is that they want to provide people with accessible information and accurate information that is completely objective. So in other words, they want to give people search results based upon what people want to find. Mm-hmm. They don't want to, you know, give preferential treatment to one company over another because of some sort of uh, relationship they have with that company. They want to be as objective as possible. That's that's rule number one. Mm-hmm. The second part of it is they must operate within the uh, the law. Yes. So if whatever they want to do would be against the law. That goes against their motto, their informal motto of don't be evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, this actually became a very interesting subject recently when Google began to talk about the possibility of getting out of China. Mm-hmm. Now, Google got into China back in 2006. And even when they were first going into China, uh, executives were saying that it was going to be an uneasy situation because – in China, it's impossible for Google to follow both of those rules uh, to the letter, to, right. be, to not be evil. Because in China, the Chinese government is very specific about uh, companies have to be able to censor search results, mm-hmm. information that's coming into the country. The government has a very uh, strict view on what can and cannot be allowed in. Right. Um, and a lot of governments do this. China is not alone in this. But China in particular has a pretty – Big net. Yes. I mean, they're known for having the great firewall of China, which blocks lots and lots of information from getting into the country. So in China, it's, it was essentially impossible to both follow the law and give people free access to objective information. So, uh, for, for nearly four years, Google kind of struggled with this and now it looks like they may actually get out of that country uh, due to some other events, which I guess we don't have to really go into. Yeah, that but, actually, they actually didn't enter China until fairly late because, you know, as we were talking about it just a moment ago, uh, you know, they were really launching as a large commercial entity or on the entity that would become the large commercial entity in, um, in 1998. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they didn't actually get into China until January of 2006. Right. So, so that was actually sort of a late – they were late to the market in, in China. And, the, and they didn't make up a very large percentage of the search market in China, unlike mm-hmm. the rest of the world. Now, globally, Google makes up around 60 percent of the search traffic 
Yes. Uh, but in China, it was much lower. Um, so some people have taken that opportunity to say that China, that Google really got out of China because it wasn't a particularly profitable business and it was a lot of bad PR. So mm-hmm. it made a good PR move to get out of China. I'm not quite that cynical. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that was what was going through their the executives' minds when they finally said, you know what, it's time for us to make a stand on this. But I don't know for sure. Right. I could be I could be putting on the rose-colored glasses in this case. But let's uh, I guess we should dial back the time just a little bit. Yeah, kind of go through some of the other stuff that happened. Like you mentioned, they became a company in 1998. So this is where all you people who who like to to either play trivia or or run trivia games need to start writing this stuff down because we're going to give you lots and lots of little trivia bits. Yep, yep. Now, um, actually, Google was sort of a, a darling of the industry very early on because um, in December of 1998, uh, that's when PC Magazine basically said, hey, these guys are really on to something big. And um, they actually named it as one of the uh, top 100 websites of 1998. Um, and for a company that new on the scene to take on somebody as large as Yahoo!, I mean, Yahoo was the portal. They were the destination for people who wanted to find stuff on the Internet at that point. And, um, you know, for somebody to come in out of the blue and uh, and take over and have them say, you know, hey, these guys have search down pat. If you want to find something, use Google. And that's really remarkable, especially considering the fact that, I mean, even before Google became an actual entity, they got $100,000 in funding. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, true. So you're talking about a, an upstart company that, by the way, was housed in a garage. Yep. I mean, th- we've seen this before. There are other big companies that got their start in garages. I can think of two off the top of my head, Microsoft and Apple. Hewlett Packard. There you go. Another one. So you look at these major companies. They started off in people's garages. Google is no different. In fact, this this would be surprising to me just because by 98, I would have thought you've gotten past the point where anyone could – create an upstart company sure, that could become sure. a world power, really. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Google did it. Um, or ra- rather, Larry and Sergey managed to do it. And uh, so they they incorporate um, – it's not until 2004 that they go public. That's true. And once they go public, they start uh, – they, I think they're trading at around $85 a share, something yeah, like that. Yeah, and the IPO uh, went live then and uh, – um, if you should actually look it up, if you're curious to uh, see exactly how much money they intended to raise with their IPO, because it's a very funny number. Oh, uh, is it? If my memory serves me correctly, I, I, I didn't think about it until just now, so I didn't uh, look it back up. But if I'm not mistaken, they were looking to raise E. You know, the mathematical <laughs> constant E, nice. that's how much money they were attempting well, to raise. I, I just looked I up the, uh, I just looked up the, the number number mm-hmm. that went uh, the actual number of shares and the oh. amount per share uh-huh. that went uh, live on August 18th, and that was $85 per share. So I was right. I can't yes. believe I actually remember yes. correctly. Mm-hmm. And they and they uh, opened with 19,605,052 shares of Class A common stock. That's quite a few. That's a lot, yeah. And it's so, gone up since then. Yeah. Uh, actually, this morning, the morning that we are recording this podcast, it'll be totally different by the time you guys hear it. Just Bear that in mind. But mm-hmm. this morning when I looked it up, it was trading at $559.20 per share. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty big jump from 85 bucks. Yes, and I'm not sure if there have been any splits one way or the other since then. So, so the company uh, employs twenty, nearly 20,000 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the revenue for the la- for the third quarter of 2009 nearly 6 billion dollars in revenue oh. just for 3 months yeah. that's not a year that's 3 months 6 billion dollars now the profit profit is what you get when you take your revenue you take your costs you subtract the costs mm-hmm. from the revenue profit was only a tiny little 3.7 billion so <laughs> you know Come on, Google. I'd, seriously, I'd, I'd settle for one billion of that. You know, you know, I, I'm, I'm I, I would, I would also settle <laughs> for a billion. Okay. Um, well, there's, there's so much to Google. So, um, let's let's touch on the the search because that's the bread and butter of how Google got started. Sounds good. Um, Google does use spiders and crawlers to yep. look for information on the internet. Um, they are very polite in the "don't be evil" sense, in that you can uh, you can actually have a spider's file in your website, and Google will. Uh, if you tell them to stay away from it, I don't know why you would do that. Well, I mean, yeah. if you've got a site that's on the web, presumably you'd have it there so people can find it. But you could do it. If yes, you yes, you could. And there are companies that are talking about doing that. Uh, in this case, we're talking about think companies that are uh, yes. wanting to protect their their content from being displayed freely on Google before you they before they're given a chance of uh, charging you to get a, a glimpse at it. Yes, yes. A number of publishers are actually considering blocking themselves um, from Google's uh, digital eyeballs so that they can be the first to tell you what it is that they have to say. For a fee. And Google's response has essentially been, good luck with that. Yeah. But um, it's not really the search itself and cataloging the information uh, that makes the difference. For Google, it's actually the algorithm it uses to display results on the search engine results page. Or the whole page SERP. rank situ- situation. Yes. yes, SERPs. I love SERP. Um, SERPs and SEO are going to be big things that we talk about here. Mm-hmm. So page rank is an interesting System mm-hmm. and it's a secret system. Uh, it's a the algorithm that Google uses is secret and they tweak it all the time. And there are a lot of different reasons to tweak it. One is just that Google wants to make sure that the company is providing the best search results possible whenever you're searching for any particular topic. Another is be, uh, the reason they tweak it is is to avoid people gaming the system. Yes, like they don't want people to say, oh. Google looks for this, this, and this. So as long as we build that into our site, we're going to rank really well in Google. Now, why would you want to rank well in Google? Well, you want to show up on the first page of the search results because people don't generally click very deeply into search results. Yeah. You don't want to, a lot of people don't go to the 14th and 15th and 16th pages. Yeah, most people don't go to the page two. Most or, people look at the first, the first few links that are on the first page. Which is what you get if you, uh, click the I'm feeling lucky button. You go directly to the very first link that Google has. I think the first non-advertisement. Right, 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 right. Because you can, you can become an advertiser with Google and they will put your results as a sponsored result that is listed separately. Uh, it's under a different color so you can clearly see, uh, that one of them is an advertisement whereas one is just an, a, right. a link that's pulled up through PageRank. But yeah, um, the first PageRank result is the one that you get right. when you click on I'm feeling lucky. So how do you rank well in Google? Well, the easy answer is that you create a, a really, really good website. Yes. Uh, and that sounds like a pat answer, but in general, that's exactly what Google's looking for. I mean, the, the, the things that Google looks at are Incoming links to your site. Mm-hmm. Are other sites linking to your site? Because if they are, that's usually a sign of quality. Yeah. Um, 
back in, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Uh, in, the, in the early days of SEO or search engine optimization, um, a lot of people would try to overload their uh, the the code in their websites with um, keywords. Yeah, and sometimes they would put them. I, I remember uh, trying to bookmark pages that had dozens and dozens of keywords in the actual page title, right? Because they were trying to load up, but um, Google doesn't necessarily pay attention to the number of, of keywords that you have in there, but it does look at where they are on the page and who's linking to you and to whom you're linking and how old the, the site is. Yeah. All sorts of little bits and details that sort of tell you whether or not this page really is what it is or if you're just trying to fool it by throwing in a whole bunch of keywords. And they look at the quality of the links that are coming in as well. Absolutely. So let's say that you have a website and you have a bunch of link farms. Link farms are these sites, you've probably seen them. It's a site where it's just a bunch of links to other sites. And the, the, the concept here is you're trying to game the system. You're trying to create all these different sites that are really just a bunch of links so that they count towards the link count and PageRank says, oh, well, there are all these websites that are linking to this page. This page must be a good one. So mm-hmm. I will rank it higher. Mm-hmm. That's really irritating. Google actually gets around that a little bit. So what they're looking for is they're looking for the quality of the websites that are linking to you. If you have a website that has a 100 incoming links pointing at your website, but they're all from these really tiny websites or even link farms, Mm -hmm. it's not going to do as well in PageRank as a website that has five incoming links from really well-established websites. Yeah. So let's say that your website has links coming into it from – um, I don't, well, we'll see how stuff works. How stuff works is actually regarded as a very good website through Google. Mm-hmm. Um, as are websites like CNN, MSNBC, um, like anything that's, that's been around for a while, there's, it's got a, a an easily identifiable, uh, uh, brand behind it that usually counts for a lot. Um, the and, sites are established. They've been, exactly. they've been on the net. People are linking to them. Right. And so those, those sites that do well in Google already, um, are considered trusted sites too. So, so yeah, if one of them links to you, then that that's going to count more than yeah. Joe Bob, who has his you know Joe Bob's World of the Web. Until website. Joe Bob, you know, is around and gets big, and people know who he is and stuff. Right, and then Joe Bob's kicking butt. Exactly. Yeah, go it Joe, can, and it can happen. And again, a lot of the uh, a lot of the people out there who are saying that they can help you your website rank better in Google. Uh, we call this search engine optimization or SEO. Um, there are little tricks you can do that can help a little bit, but the best thing you can do is provide the most compelling, interesting, and user-friendly web experience you can. Uh, make sure that your data is relevant. Make sure that it's, uh, that it's presented in an attractive way. That uh, not It shouldn't just be attractive. It should also be user-friendly in the sense that you want it to be able – you want people using different browsers to be able to see it. Yeah. So if you create this really amazing website that has all these bells and whistles and special effects, but only the people who are running the very latest web uh, browsers can see it, that's not going to do so well for you when you're coming to Google PageRank because yeah. a lot of people just aren't even going to link to you because they can't even see the stuff that's on your site. Yeah. And um, you know, if you do search engine optimization correctly, anyway, you're you're sort of helping Google out because you can you can give them a brief uh, a brief set of keywords and and things that will help Google identify what the page is actually about. Um, if you try to overload it, it's it's 
going to register as noise to Google and, and will not help you. As a matter of fact, it could actually put you farther down the list. But we should talk about the, uh, the hardware too. Cause I mean, in order to do this, to operate this search engine, um, you know, there have to be lots and lots and lots of computers involved. Yeah. And they're actually using very average machines when you, when you look at it from, uh, server technology. And Google's philosophy is that it's a lot cheaper to replace a broken average machine than it would be to replace a broken state of the art machine. Mm-hmm. And if five re- average machines are the same cost collectively as one state of the art machine and you're still getting an equivalent or even better amount of performance from those five machines collectively, mm-hmm. then it makes more sense to go with that. So the data centers at Google are filled with these, these, uh, Fairly average servers. Um, now, a lot of them are configured in a very special way that Google has has kind of uh, come up with, and you can actually read all about this. There are um, articles on the web that that talk about the kind of configuration that Google uses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a very special file management system that allows the search engine to reference information very, very quickly, which is why you don't have a big delay when you do a, a search. Um, and they have lots of them, thousands and thousands of these computers. And they also make lots and lots of redundant backups. So yes. if any of these machines fails, it's not going to really cause more than just a tiny blip in their Actually, service. we should just say when these machines fail. Oh, yeah, because, because they're going to fail. fail. Machines, yeah, all I mean, kinds of machines. That's exactly why Google has built redundancy into its system, because they know these machines are fallible. They will fall apart or stop working or... You know, there'll be some glitch that, that after a while, while going unchecked will shut down a server or perhaps even a full rack of servers. So yeah, there has to be redundancy. That's why Google's also looked at some really interesting potential solutions for, uh, for data centers. Cause data mm-hmm. centers take up a lot of space. They take a lot of power. They generate tons of heat. So there have been a few interesting, um, patents out there for potential Solutions to this, including a giant floating data center. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that we're ever going to see it, but it's a really cool idea. Right. So, um, and they, uh, they also take good care of their employees. They have, uh, yep. very good benefits for their employees. They have, uh, their main headquarters in, in California has Mountain View, California. All kinds of nice amenities. It's called the Google Plex and it's designed in a campus layout. Mm-hmm. So there are several buildings on the campus. Uh, you'll all often see people on segways or bicycles going to and from the different buildings. Uh, most of their employees work in an open environment. There are very few private offices on the Google Plex. Um, they all get a day to work on personal projects. Yeah, essentially you get many 20%. Of which- 20% of your time can be spent working on personal projects. And a lot of those have actually turned into other stuff that they've offered, like Orkut. Yeah, if you go to Google, Wave. Google Labs, which is one of their, uh, that's where they, they have like some of the newest stuff that they're working on. And most of it is kind of in an experimental phase where it's not necessarily ready for, uh, to be rolled out as a, as a full fledged feature. A mm-hmm. lot of that comes from that 20% time. Yep. Yep. And they've got game rooms, exercise rooms. They have a, uh, an, an infinity swimming pool lane thing. Yep. Um, yep. They, uh, it, it's, it's also amazing. They've, um, they've grown so much too over the past several years. Uh, just the different services they've offered through acquisitions, uh, you know, up and comers, people like rightly and YouTube and, uh, Pyro labs, which is the 
the uh, company that created Blogger, right. uh, all kinds of new services. Now they're getting into uh, video advertising, and that's how they make their their money is through advertising. That's true. That that is. If you're wondering how Google makes all that money, that revenue we talked about earlier, it's through ads. Google ads are huge. Uh, and they're really popular, and they dominate the ad space in the search market. Yeah, that's um, it's funny because you know even uh, Joe Bob when he gets his website going, you know he's going to be able to sign up for an AdSense account with Google and offer Google powered ads on his website, and they will you know send him a check uh, every time it gets to a certain point, and then past that when he becomes a big star um, for his uh, amazing blog, I encourage you to check it out. Um, but you know, this is basically it's Google sort of sharing the wealth. The more uh, advertising you can send to them, they will cut you in on the deal. Yep. You know, so, uh, you know, once you're a registered member of the, the AdSense, but, um, it's, it's because of Google's, it all comes down to Google's results though, because, um, because Google is such a useful tool, people want to advertise next to it because they know they're getting good results and mm-hmm. people are going to see those ads alongside those results and uh, at that uh, that coveted place at the top of the page for which they actually do an auction. And we could talk about tons of other Google products, but we're running out of time. But just to give you a kind of a quick rundown, you have things like the Chrome uh, web browser as well as the upcoming Chrome operating system. Android operating system. For Android operating system phones. for mobile phones. Yep. Uh, you've got Google Voice, yes. which is uh, as kind of an interesting experiment. Uh, sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't. Um, you've got Gmail, which mm-hmm. was uh, private until Valentine's Day of, I think, 2007. Mm-hmm. And then they opened it up to everybody. Um, you've got uh, a Google Wave, which yes. is still in the experimental phase. We were talking about that kind of thing earlier. Google Reader. Google Reader, for RSS exactly. feeds. Um, Google Books, where they're trying to digitize all the books in the, in the world. So Google's serious about this organizing uh, all the world's information. There's there's the Google Health mm-hmm. for medical records. Yep. Uh, it goes on and on, and eventually Google's going to know everything about us. And if you're ever confused about who you are or what your role is in the world, you probably could just Google yourself. <laughs> That'll just remind you. Yeah, but um, we could do a series of podcasts on all the different pieces of Google. Because and we have it's done so some. Big. Yeah, we've, we've done we've one on Android, and we've talked a bit about Google Docs before. So, but yes, uh, it's a fascinating company, um, and it I, I see it continuing its its uh, quest. In well, some of us say look organizing the world's information, and others say world domination. Yeah, the two very well may go hand in hand together. Uh, so uh, I hope you enjoyed that, um, Alex. I hope that answered your question. Uh, if you have any other specific questions about Google, please write us. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can write us just like this other instance of listener mail. So this one comes from uh, Rain, who is 12 years old and is from British Columbia, Canada, and says, I know that this isn't stuff you should know, but I think a couple of haikus should explain my suggestion. Here's my suggestion. It's such a great suggestion. Okay, here it goes. Actually, this just doesn't feel right for tech stuff. Well, I was wondering how Project Natal, Xbox 360, and the Arc, but is the Arc part of a new system, maybe PS4, and the Wii is starting to drop in sales? Do you think they're going to make a new Wii? I think this would be a great topic for a podcast. Well, we'll probably do a podcast about the future of video game consoles. But right now, I think we're stuck with what we've got for the next year. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be a few years before any of these guys uh, replace what they have out there with anything new, partially because the costs of research and development, um, and partially because people are still 
you know, buying the old ones. Yep. I think uh, I think pretty much we're going to be stuck with that for the next couple of years, like you said. And uh, the only- yeah, these these new devices look like they're going to be working with the the current generation game systems. Yeah, and I think um, I, I've heard rumors that there's going to be a, a high definition Wii, but I don't think it's going to be a new uh, machine other than the, the graphics output. Of course, right. the uh, existing so games won't necessarily work. In you know 1080, it won't necessarily upscale, but uh, but I don't think it's going to you know use a whole lot of new technology. I think it's going to be an incremental step, sort of like the, the Wii uh, 1.5 rather than the Wii 2.0, if you right. will. Right. So well, thanks a lot, Rain, and uh, thanks all of for all, to all of you for listening to our show. Uh, remember, we do a live show that's on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find a link to that through our blogs. Just go to howstuffworks.com and look along the right hand side. You'll find links over there. And Chris and I will talk to you again, possibly about Google, really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.